0: It was such a fascinating conversation with uh, uh, Tom Defonis, and I'm just so grateful to God uh, that Tom is this man of God and this amazing man of integrity who is serving uh, in in uh, the the venue and the place and on the bench. Um, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever done jury duty. Okay, quite a few of you have. How many of you have ever been been actually called uh, to do a trial? You've served on, okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in the 25 years uh, we've lived here, I've been called to a grand jury, and then I've been called to, like, regular jury, and um, I don't know how you felt when you walk into a courtroom uh, for the first time or even the second time. you know, when I've walked into a courtroom, I mean, it's, it's kind of an intimidating thing for me because I'm just not there very much, which I hope comforts you. Um, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> anyway, but you're there for a little bit, and you, you kind of get the environment. I mean, it's not a very cheerful place. It, it's not a place where your know, birthday parties are held, where was your last birthday? Oh, it was in the courtroom. What? You get in there and you get the ambiance of the place and it's, they're solemn. There's, I mean, this is a serious place. And you find out pretty quickly from the judge or from the attorneys that your words are taken seriously. Your words are taken seriously. Your words have weight. Your words have weight, and I think that's what we're going to see as we look at this passage of Scripture in Proverbs. We're going to to enter a kind of a serious passage of Scripture that considers just how weighty our words are. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, and I'm going to read... Verses 12 through 19 of Proverbs chapter 6, you'll find that on page 531 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own and you would like a copy, please feel free uh, to take that uh, copy of uh, scriptures that's in the pouch in front of you and put your name in it and take it home and receive it as a gift from this church family. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 6 verses 12 through 19 on page 531 of your church Bibles. Here it is. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven That are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is God's word. It's kind of solemn, isn't it? These words are taken seriously here, and and that's a good thing because Proverbs has a lot to say about our words. In fact, uh, Proverbs has more to say about verbal discipline and the use of words and our speech than any other area in our lives, be it diligence or family or friends or sexual purity. Speech takes the day in the book of Proverbs, so much to say About the use of our words and the truthfulness of our words and the importance of straight words. And I think that's good because what do you do more than anything else in the day than talk? We talk. We talk from the time we get up in the morning and say good morning to the time we say, I gotta go to bed at night. We are talkers. We talk in the bedroom. We talk in the hallway. We talk in the bathroom. We talk going downstairs. We talk in the kitchen. We talk in the dining room. We talk on our way out to the car. We uh, have our cell phones and we talk in the car, hands free, of course. We talk on the way to work and then we talk we haven't even talked to our boss yet or our coworkers our colleagues we talk and talk we talk to our spouses we talk to our former spouses we talk to our parents our step parents our grandparents our children our grandchildren we talk to our pets our dogs our cats we talk to ourselves we talk and talk and talk don't we we are we are as one author says wordish people wordish people And according to one body of research, the average American talks 700 times a day. 700. Now, that's the average American, and that means that some talk more than that. 700 times a day. I'm thinking of Teddy Roosevelt, our 26th president. I've been thinking about him because, uh, I don't know, I'm watching Ken Burns' uh, PBS series, The Roosevelt's, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt was a non-stop talker. Uh, David uh, McCullough, a historian about Roosevelt's life, said that Roosevelt was a one-man gas bag. He talked and talked and talked. Part of it was because he drank coffee all day long. He just talked and talked and talked. He found out that there was a big game hunter from Europe who happened to be in Washington, D.C. He told his staff, bring that guy in. And so this guy comes in, big game hunter, famous from Europe, and goes to the White House, and he spends an hour and a half in the president's office. Now, who gets to spend an hour and a half with the president of the United States? After an hour and a half, this big game hunter leaves the office, goes back to the secretary, and he looks like a wilted rag. And the secretary says... You were in there for an hour and a half. What did you tell the president? And he said, true story, my name. (laughs) Teddy just talked his ear off. 700 times a day, the average American talks. And if you think that's excessive, fine. Fine. Cut it in half, 350 times a day. If you think that's excessive, cut that in half, 175 times a day. How many other things do you do 175 times a day? We are wordish people, aren't we? And, you know, our talk is so much a part of our lives that we often forget the impact that our words have on the people in our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I forget the impact that my words have on the people in my life, I either make trouble or uh, I get in trouble. And uh, you know, verbal discipline touches so many areas of our lives. You know? And this casual talk, often beneath it is this War of our talk this war of words anybody here a casualty of the war of words i'm thinking of phrases like i never thought when we were dating that he would talk to me the way he talks to me now i can't believe my children talk to me this way my boss only talks to me when i'm in trouble My co-workers only talk to me when they want something. We never talk. We never talk. Sometimes I think it would just be better if we didn't talk. This war of words. Any casualties in here? How many of us have been uh, sliced or stabbed by sharp words? How many of us have felt the grief of deceptive and false words? How many of us have had to referee disputing words? Who among us can say, my words are always kind, always appropriate, always punctual, always true, always loving? I mean, who can say that? I cannot say that. This issue of verbal discipline touches us at every season of our life, right? You want to get an education? Learn to listen and learn to talk. Do you want to make friends? Learn to listen and learn to talk. Do you want to get a job? Learn to listen and learn to talk. Do you want to interview well? Learn to listen and learn to talk and really learn to listen. And when you talk, learn what questions to ask. You want to get married? Learn to listen and learn to talk. Do you want to stay married? Learn to listen and learn to talk. Do you want to, um, do, you want to do you want to persuade your boss in the purest sense of the of, of the word? You want, you want to do that. You've got an idea, and you're you tried to talk to your boss about it, but you just you know the boss just for whatever reason just isn't listening or can't listen or is not getting the message or whatever, what do do you do? Learn to listen and learn to talk. And learn when you talk, learn how to talk and what to say and the inflection and the tone. I've got a great verse on this. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. With patience. With, With patience, a prince may be persuaded with patience a king with patience your supervisor may be may be persuaded you see feeling impatient well impatient words are not going to persuade your boss you don't know what's going on in your boss's brain. You don't know the air traffic control issues that your boss has. You don't have any idea. You just got your little idea that you want done. You don't have any idea what's in your boss's brain. You've got to be patient. Be patient. And then it says this. This is such a great verse. And a soft tongue will break a bone. A soft tongue will break a bone. The bone of a king. Huh? A soft tongue will break a bone. Wow, why is that? You know why? Because your words have weight. That's why. Your words have weight. Your your words have weight. They give life or take life. That's what I want us to get this morning. That's the lesson. That's the big idea. Your words have weight. They give life or take life. Uh, I like what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. Either You're either going to give life-giving words or life-taking words. You either give death or life, poison or fruit. You choose. And there's no not choosing because you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. Words are either in a life-giving direction or a death-giving direction. And if your words give life, then they are affirming words, teaching words, correcting words, instructing words, true words, gracious words, comforting words, even admonishing words. But they're life-giving words. If they're death-giving words they are going to be fault-finding words, blaming words, untrue words, twisted words, crooked words, divisive words. It's going to be one or the other. The words you speak are death-giving or life-giving, and you get to choose. You get to choose. Now, you tell me what other creature on the face of the earth has this Ability to leverage this kind of influence and yes, even power over the lives of others. Life giving words, death giving words. And I believe that we have this leverage as a gift from God, on loan from God. And I think it's just part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Words give life or words take life because ultimately words belong to the Lord. Words belong to the Lord. This gift of talk comes from God himself, who when he created the heavens and the earth, did so. How did he do that? By talking, by speaking. He didn't just, you know, get some dirt and form it into the earth and just make it float up there in space. No, that's not what the Genesis 1 says. It says that God spoke the universe and the world, and our very life into being. The power of words, and the wonder, and the significance of it all, is that God is the first great speaker. And the reason why we can speak is because He has first spoken. And He allows us to speak, and He allows us to understand language and speak. Words belong to the Lord. Words represent the Lord. Words represent his kingdom and his agenda. Listen, listen. God never intended for you to represent yourself when you speak. You represent the king. You represent another kingdom. You represent our king's administration. And I think that's why Proverbs chapter 6 has such harsh words about the one with crooked speech. See that? Crooked speech, because crooked speech twists life inside, out, and upside down. Crooked speech calls light darkness and darkness light. Crooked speech calls good evil and evil good. Crooked speech is either untruthful or incomplete. Crooked speech either speaks what is not true, or it withholds what is true, or it fails to conform to true reality, or it fails to confront someone with truth. Crooked speech. Crooked crooked speech says that you don't deserve to know true reality. All you deserve is my reality, What's in my imagination? Here I've concocted this fantasy world based on my imagination. Believe this, trust this. Stake your life on my whimsical world. That's what crooked speech says. And notice what Proverbs 6 says. It's not that the person is just wicked. Worthless. Wow, that's strong language, don't you think? Why? Why such strong language? Here's why. The God who spoke the universe. Into existence, this God who has given us the gift of speech, He is not bilingual. He knows only one language. And I'm not talking about English or Spanish or Turkish or French or Farsi or Korean or Mandarin. I'm talking about the language of truth. Truth is God's native tongue. That's all He knows. That's all He knows. On the other hand, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the accuser, all he speaks is lies. I mean, Jesus told us that, right? John chapter 8, verse 44, concerning Satan, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow, so whose child are we? Because Satan is committed to lying, he doesn't know truth. He can't speak truth. He doesn't understand truth. And because Christ is committed to truth, he cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. He'll never, ever contradict his character. Some time ago, uh, Sarah and I went uh, on our date night to Cranert. We went to an opera. It was very high class for this Oki. We went, we got all spiffied up, and we had a night at the opera. And do you know that the orchestra tuned the instruments three times during the night? There were two intermissions. So at the, before the performance and you know, between the intermissions, three times during the night, the orchestra carefully tuned the instruments. And you can imagine why, can't you? What if one of those instruments happened to be out of tune, off pitch? Well-trained musicians with a highly tuned sense of pitch all of a sudden just get so irritated and frustrated by that one instrument that may be off pitch, they wouldn't be able to finish the performance. And They would just have to stop for self-preservation purposes. In fact, the, the, the better sense of pitch, the more annoying the ill-tuned sound would be, you know. And you think about that for a minute, and that gives you an idea, that gives you a flavor of what a crooked speech does to the stomach of God. Proverbs twelve twenty two: God can't stomach liars. He loves the company of those who keep their word. Because he keeps his word. His talk is always straight. So he can't stomach crooked speech. And you know, this, this brings some questions that may be uncomfortable. But questions nonetheless. Such as, do any of us ever exaggerate the truth? Or spin the truth? Or describe a personal accomplishment in inflated terms? Anybody here ever minimized the truth, or, or suggested an offense just you did really wasn't all that bad? Or do you ever twist the truth to make somebody else look bad? Ever described another person's words or actions without explaining their context and thereby making that person appear stupid or cruel? Never you gotten yourself into a jam, and you felt tempted to tell a whopper, or not even a whopper, just a white lie. My cell phone rings. After five, Sarah wants to know, you know, when? When do you think we're all going to be home together here? And I'll be there, and I'll be there in ten minutes. Well, thirty minutes later, I get home, and you know, she very lovingly has that, "Where have you been?" look on her face. And, well, traffic jam. Traffic jam. You're three point five miles away from the house. <laughs> it takes eight minutes to get home. A traffic jam? What did you? Did you have to go to Tuscola and back? What's going on? I just, you know, you know what? I just didn't leave when I told you I was going to leave. And, and, and here's the thing, right? You know, what do you do with your eyes? What do you do with your eyes? It's the eyes, right? You know? I mean, you either have to look the person in the eye or you look to the ground, right? Up or down, right? And, and, and to look someone in the eye and tell them a lie, that's, in, that's industrial strength lying right there. The eyes go down, right? The eyes go down. Have you ever traded truth for peace? Have You ever been in a situation that demands the whole truth and nothing but the truth, where you have to speak the truth without hesitating or without holding back, or without considering the cost of yourself? Proverbs twenty four twenty six. I, I just find this such an interesting verse. Proverbs 24, 26 says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Now, I like that. I like, I like kissing the lips. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, you know, all right. Face value, that's, that's something pleasurable. So honesty is something pleasurable. Well, of course, not Always. So I did, some, I did some digging in uh, one of the commentaries. A guy by the name of Waltke said this. This is so interesting. This sets the stage for this verse. Waltke said he quotes a historian, you know, five centuries before Christ, a guy by the name of Herodotus. Herodotus said this of ancient Persia. Ancient Persia. When one Persian meets another, it's easy to see if the two Persians are equal. Without speaking, they kiss each other on the lips. That's how they did it in their culture. If the difference in rank be little, it is the cheek that is kissed. If it be great, the humbler bows before the greater. Does that that make sense now? So when I speak truthfully, it means I'm viewing you as an equal. It means I'm esteeming you as an equal. It means I respect you as an equal. See, Wow. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Hmm. Your words have weight. They either give life or they take life. And, and, and God, his speech is straight. He doesn't speak crookedly because truth is the only language he knows. So so let's get practical here. Uh, How might we become more skilled at speaking truth? How can I become more fluent in the language of truth? Well, Proverbs, I love Proverbs. Um, Someone once said that the Bible is shallow enough for a baby to wade in, and that the same time it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in so here's the here's the shallow enough for a baby to wait in section here's what proverbs has to say proverbs gives us a very practical tactic to help our truth telling it's proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 proverbs 10 19 when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So what this says is, if you have a problem with crooked speech, if you have a problem with deception, if you have a problem with lying, or if you want to lie less or gossip less or exaggerate less, then, according to this verse, talk less. How about them apples? Just talk less. I mean, do the math. Do the math. If you talk seven hundred times a day, and every uh, you know you lie every tenth time, well, that's seventy deceptions, right? Well, how do I fix that? Well, hey, just talk three hundred and fifty times a day. That'll be an immediate fifty percent reduction. That's growth. I mean, it sounds funny, right? But it's true. It's true. I don't know about you, but the less I talk, the less I. spin the less i talk the cleaner my conscience the less i talk the less i spew sarcasm the less i talk the less i interrupt the less i talk the less i gossip the less i talk the less i things i regret the less i talk the fewer promises i make that i can't keep it's liberating isn't it i don't have to participate in every conversation I don't have to clothe every thought with a word. <laughs> if you want to sin less, talk less. And if for no other reason, talking less, according to Proverbs, will help others think that you're wiser than you really are. Really, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 1728. Works for me. I mean we can we can start that today. Practical tactic. Talk less. Let's go to the deep end of the pool though. There is a deeper issue to consider and it is found in Proverbs 16.23. Proverbs 16.23 says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So there's a connection there, isn't there? Between the heart and the speech. Do you hear what Proverbs is saying? There's a connection between what is in your heart and what comes out of your mouth and when the Bible uses the word heart biblically your heart you know, is, it's not just about your feelings your heart biblically is the control center of your life your heart is the OS, the operating system of your life your heart is why you do what you do your heart is why you say what you say your heart is why you think what you think And so according to Proverbs, whatever comes out of your mouth has first been living in your heart. Jesus taught about this in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus asked a really simple question. How do you know that a grapevine is a grapevine? How do you know a grapevine is a grapevine? How do you know? Look for the grapes. Yeah. How do you know that a fig tree is a fig tree? Look for the figs. And when you look at those grapes, you know intuitively that the entire vine is you know grapeistic or figistic, right? You just know that. Jesus said in Luke 6, 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So if the, if the tree wasn't figgish, it wouldn't grow figs. That's called the principle of organic consistency. The principle of organic consistency. And that organic consistency is, is applied to your heart and your mouth. So when, so when you hear someone say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that, that's not accurate. What's accurate is, please forgive me for saying what I meant. Jesus is telling us, Proverbs tells us, word problems are not vocabulary problems. Word problems are not technique problems. Word problems are not timing problems. Word problems are heart problems. There it is. If it wasn't in my heart, it would never have come out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to believe that. I don't want to buy that. I want to believe that when it comes to my speech, my biggest problem is outside of me. I want to think that the problem is with my family or with my spouse or with staff or with something else. How it's easy for my inner lawyer to rise in my defense and object. It's not Randy's heart. It's everyone and everything else outside of Randy's heart. That's where the problem is. Or, or well, it may be a little bit on Randy, but it's not as much on Randy as it is on everybody else. My inner lawyer. Now, how does that sound? I mean, how does that sound? You know that's, like, that's not right. That's not right because it's not. It doesn't conform to reality. Because when you are convinced that your greatest, deepest problem in life is outside of you, then you will stop passionately pursuing Christ and His grace and His mercy. And what conforms to reality is the day I admit the greatest problem with my speech it's not with my mouth, it's with my heart. My heart is my greatest communication problem. My, my greatest problem is, you know, I say this prayer when I come to the pulpit, Lord, help me get out of the way so that what you want said, gets said. Well, my, my biggest problem is I don't carry that with me outside the pulpit. I need to carry it home with me. Having a difficult conversation or having an easy conversation. Lord, help me get out of the way so that what you want said gets said. My biggest communication problem is my heart. And it's only when you and I stand humbly before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, regardless of the flawed people living with me in this sinful, broken, fallen world, I am my greatest communication problem. It's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need prayer. And when you're willing to do that, then you're opening yourself up for a big new day. Now, are you willing to do that? That's the question. Words have weight. Words have weight because words belong to the Lord, who only speaks one language, truth. Truth is God's native tongue. And my war of words is really a war between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the puny little kingdom of Randy. And whichever kingdom rules your heart will dictate your words. You can become a better truth teller by talking less, yes. You can become a lot better by letting God detoxify your heart and purify your heart. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He came for that very purpose, to purify me, to rescue me from my kingdom of one. Jesus was the only person in all of history who never spoke a self-indulgent word. He never opened his lips in a wrong way, not once. He never spoke when silence was better, and he never kept silent when it was appropriate to speak. Even his enemies said in John seven forty six, no one ever spoke like this man. His enemies said that. His words were infallibly wise, and we felt outclassed, and we felt threatened, and we felt shamed, and so we killed him, and he took it. On the cross, Jesus loved us so much that his sacrifice deleted the damning record before God of every foolish word, every idle word, every false word you and I have ever spoken. He took divine condemnation for our lies, our insults, our gossip, our put-downs, our bragging, our false promises, our griping, as well as the guilty silence when we should have spoken up. He took it all on himself, and he pushed the delete button. So that by grace through faith, as a result of his death and burial and resurrection, and the sending of his Holy Spirit into our lives he now by the power of his holy spirit will speak through us so that our words might be agents of change true words gospel words life directional words he uses us Those kind of words um, changed Wilbur's life. Wilbur. Talked to my mom recently. And Wilbur was in her Sunday school class years ago at my home church, East Tulsa Christian Church. And Wilbur just, uh, mom said that she went to Wilbur's funeral this past week. Now Wilbur was a golfer. And every week he would play with the same three partners. Every week. I mean, it was just all four of them. It had a foursome, and they just played together. And it was just their weekly round of golf. And one of the partners uh, years ago had cancer. And um, was in the hospital. Um. And when it was clear that his time in this world was coming to an end, Wilbur came to see him. Wilbur said, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, they were tight friends. And this friend who was dying looked at Wilbur in the eyes and said, yeah, you can take my place at East Tulsa Christian Church. Week later he died. That next Sunday, Wilbur with his family, showed up at East Tulsa Christian Church. <laughs> he became a Christian. He was baptized. He served as a deacon. Reared his kids in the Lord. Oh his daughter. One of his daughters is a pastor's wife. His son in law, the pastor, preached Wilbur's funeral. Wilbur liked to joke. He said, Yep, I'm living proof that golf saved my soul. (laughs) (laughs) But you and I both know it wasn't golf, it was a weighty word. A truthful word, a gospel word delivered by a very good friend. And Wilbur and his friend are in heaven together now with Jesus. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors for God. Ambassadors for Christ, as as though God were making his appeal through us. And as ambassadors, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God through Christ. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those words are true words. They're gospel words. They're Christ-saturated words. They're life-changing words.